Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I am your host, Monica McNutt. This week, our special guest is Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN. Cassidy wears many hats at the Worldwide Leader, but her passion is basketball. We have a lot of ground to cover, so, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Darlene, my girl, I do love a good pull-up three in transition. I swear it's the most beautiful part of the game. This week, we are very happy to have Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN on this week's show. Cassidy has become one of the smartest voices in basketball media. She's also a good friend of my producer extraordinaire and sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, from their time together (laughs) at ESPN. You've seen Cass patrolling the sidelines on NBA games at ESPN, hosting the red carpet proceedings at the ESPY Awards, covering the Las Vegas Summer League in her Jays with the sneaker game on fire, just so you know, for the record. And of course, hosting Hoop Streams on Twitter, hosting the Hoop Collective podcast, working the sidelines at the All-Star Celebrity Game, and doing college football studio work for ABC. Prior to all of that, she hosted NBA Tonight and NBA Coast to Coast on ESPN, and she has also become a mom for the first time in December. Cassidy, my girl, is there anything that you are not conquering these days? I mean, you th- that was um, that was pretty good. I think you covered it. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> wow, my life just flashed before my eyes. <laughs> it, it has been quite the life. Of course, we got a shout out to Bruce from teeing us up to make sure we oh. kick this thing off right. No, no, I mean. Thing, none of that would have been possible without Killer B, as I call him, Bruce Bernstein. He, um, you know, he is the reason why uh, I am covering the best league in all of sports and doing um, what I love to do. And it's been a dream come true because he gave me the opportunity. So anything for Killer B. And I'm so excited to be with you, Monica. I am pumped and I love that. So let's jump right into it, Cassidy, because I think, like, I can remember you starting to pop up a little bit more at ESPN, right? Like I had just graduated from Georgetown in 2011. I knew I wanted to get in this business and I used to keep my head on a swivel looking for women in positions that I would hope to be able to contend for one day, right? And so just to kind of watch as we just read over your bio, like your rise has been so fun. And everybody I know that knows you has been like, she is like one of the most sincerest people that you have met. But in the process, Cassidy, like, like, talk to me about the journey, because where I am now, I've, I often tell younger folks, like, there's no such thing as a wrong turn if you are doing your best, because some kind of way right. you always end up 
where you're supposed to be. You know, that happened to me a lot before I came into um, ESPN. I graduated college in 2007, and, you know, the um, landscape of media was really changing um, just even five years prior. Like, the only way to get into sports media was to, you know, work your way up local news. Um, And when I graduated, you know, digital media was really – really starting to grow social media was launching um and so i was able to kind of take advantage of that but with that said i was mostly working freelance jobs um and just trying to you know get opportunities here and there um and i was with my husband at the time and so you know it was a tricky situation trying to balance like making decisions that were right for my for my career and then also my personal life and what what did best for me and you know there were a lot of stressful situations of like having to say no to things or being rejected on things which ultimately led me you know there was a, there was a situation where I had an offer at another um network and um you know I got a call from the SBN and uh auditioned for them and it just so happened to be in the same time frame where, you know, I had to make the hard decision um, to tell the other network that I wasn't going to go with them. And I honestly, I think I developed like a twitch because I was so nervous to, um, you know, turn that opportunity down, which was actually in my hometown um, to, to go to ESPN. Uh, but it ended up being you know, the best decision for me, uh, because I knew, you know, if I had my foot in the door, then I'll be able to try to make something out of it. And that's kind of what happened when I got the ESPN. I mean, I've been, I've been there for 10 years. And when you say, walk me through the journey, it's really been a journey. Um, it's been a climb. I mean, as Bruce can attest to this, the ESPN, while it is, it is the meta and, it, and I, it's not lost on me that that is, it, it's, it's the standard that a lot of people strive to. You know, I entered it um, as an independent contractor uh, working on the digital side. I wasn't hired by the talent office. And so, you know, at the time for the first couple of years, I was looked at as a digital talent. A lot of people didn't really understand um, how digital was going to continue to grow and essentially um, take over uh, a lot of uh, how we consume media. So um, before I, you know, ramble on and on, on about my whole, my whole career, I just, I guess my point is, is that there's no right, right path um, in, in this business. It's really just about keep, keeping on moving forward and get, gaining experience and, uh, and, and learning. And I guess I, I think that's, pretty much the tale of uh, my early years um, at ESPN. Cassidy, one of the things you mentioned there in in part of the reason uh, for your success was social media. You were always way ahead of the curve on social media. And for older folks who worked with you, such as myself, I learned a lot about social media. Don't talk about my friend. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I mean, I learned so much about it from you. I mean, I, you know, we did hundreds of NBA Tonight shows, right? But the but yeah. the one show that we did, what that really sort of hit on social media was the April Fool's night with George Carl a few years ago, and and I, oh, at yeah. that moment, that's when I realized, oh my God, this really is where it's at. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I so for people who don't um, know what we're talking about, we we, we got George Carl trending uh, <laughs> one night <laughs> because shout out to Kevin Lowe. Um, one of our uh, one of our um, 
our production assistants at the time, um, he had the idea. We, we were coming up with like April Fool's jokes, and Demarcus Cousins put out this April Fool's that he had like this album cover um, that he was coming out with an R and B album. And so we kind of just um, ripped off of that. And I was, you know, hosting with uh, George Carl, and we're like, George, let's let, let's pretend like you have a you have a um, rap album coming out. And so, um, you know, uh, Killer B calls me straight cast homie. Um, <laughs> so we <laughs> we did, we did an album cover cover with me and George Carl. Um, which was, uh, you know, straight cat homie and swaggy G. And so then George Carl, um, from that point forward, was known as swaggy G. And then, so then that was one episode. And then we decided to kind of like build on this swaggy G concept. And so, you know, we just like to have fun in the last block. And so we had him name his top five rappers of all time. And back to Kalo, it was his idea that let's have his number one be like at the time um, Gucci Mane was in jail, uh, but like you know he was like an underground. His popularity was more underground, but you know if you, if you know you know type of thing. Um, and so like we thought, hey, what's something that like maybe could make some rain, like make some um, waves on 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 social media? And uh, you know, Kalo came up with the fact that we should make Gucci Mane his number one rapper of all time. And the fact that he just delivered it is so like, am a number one rapper, <laughs> the ice cream man himself, Gucci Mane. <laughs> and so, and you know, we all know how social media works now. That little clip just blew up because, you know, it was, this is, uh, I don't even know, back in 2015, I guess, 2014. Tw- tw- 2014. Yeah. Um, and so it, like it, NBA Twitter wasn't as um, rabid as it is now, but it, it was still, it was like, it was like the burst of it. Okay. Gucci name his like group, I guess, because obviously maybe he's tweeting from jail, but like um, <laughs> retweeted it. <laughs> and it just, I just heard so many people come up to me um, and reach out to me and be like, this swaggy D stuff is too funny. And it just, you know, and then we, it just kind of became his nickname um, with us from that point forward and you know just kind of like george's personality as a coach you know he's a he's a he's a he's a fun guy but i wouldn't necessarily say that he was probably you know listening to hip-hop in the locker room with with guys so i think even his former players um you know got a kick out of it as well and i just think it you know uh helped give a little more personality to our show that you know aired at one, one in the morning often that is golden. The name of the, hey Monica, the name of the album, the name of the fake album that 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 Cass and Swaggy G did was called Ballin' and Shot Callin'. Oh, oh I there love we go. it. <laughs> that I mean, is epic. We had some fun. And to 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 kill a point, you know, um, really because NBA Tonight, I think I was on it from 2013 to what a 20. End of the 16 season, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, that's like kind of when NBA Twitter was really, really starting to um, gain this type of popularity. And, um, and you know, me, um, Bruce, and our producer, show producer, um, Jeff Anderson, on a nightly basis, like we would use it as a tool. We would use it as a tool 
to, um, you know, figure out what people are talking about, what they're interested in, um, to make sure that we caught um, certain fun, funny moments that we would do in our segment that we called Hoops or Oops, which, you know, um, is similar to like the not top 10, but on a nightly basis. And, you know, it became such a tool because, you know, on a night where there's 15 games or so, um, you can't watch every single game, um, every single minute rather of every single game. And so Twitter just kind of helped us keep track of, you know, everything that was, uh, like that was trending and creating a buzz and it helped us really stack our rundown about what was more interesting. I mean, maybe some people thought, you know, J.R. Smith untying someone's shoe was more interesting than, I don't know, no disrespect, but like a Grizzlies, uh, you know, buzzer beater right. in in November. Right. Um, and so it just was, it was a tool um, that we really used and, you know, I think helped me kind of have a connection with people and build that uh, relationship with NBA fans. I think that's awesome. Now, a couple things have happened, though, too, Cassidy, that I've observed, anyway, over the course of your rise. And I want to hear your perspective on this. You being able to come up with an April Fool's joke that plays on both you and Coach Carl and an album, like, that's fun, right? And I think we've seen (laughs) sort of this shift at ESPN where we're seeing more personalities from their talent and stuff and stuff like that. And so like when we get an mm-hmm. opportunity to see you on the sideline, one, you seem to have an incredible rapport with the players, but two, I don't see you as robotic. Like you seem to have been able to be very true to yourself throughout the journey. Um, even down to sis, honestly, like rocking your hoop earrings, like even down to that. Right. <laughs> um, is that something that you set out to do deliberately or like, tell me how you've been able to be true to you and also the game in a sense. Girl, I'm just trying to survive out there. I get it. I get <laughs> survive it. Survive out these streets. I, you know, I, I, um, I wish it were deliberate because it would mean that I had, um, you know, a little more control. <laughs> it, but right now, I will be completely honest with you. Before I left um, NBA tonight in 2016, as Bruce pointed out, um, I had done sidelines maybe twice in my life. Um, I, I described myself as a house cat. You know, the studio was my home. And at the time when I, when I got, was, um, taken off studio, you know, I, I'd never felt better, um, about my abilities on air than I did in that moment because I felt so in control. I felt, I felt like I had, um, you know, ownership over something you know, with NBA tonight and, and NBA coast to coast. I had the perfect group that I was working with and Bruce and Jeff, it was, we could say anything to each other. We, we could be honest, we could be constructive, we could, you know, continue to help push each other to grow. And so, you know, it was a, it was a hard transition for me because you go for, I went from a place of complete comfort to going out and covering games um, and, you know, really not having a full understanding how sideline reporting really works. Um, and then especially on the NBA side of things, which is, is, is more so making sure you have the right relationships and making sure you know who to go to when you need answers. And um, really uh, the most, uh, the, the biggest thing you need is, is just to be around and for players to get comfortable with you and to be at shoot around and for them to um, feel like they can trust that, you know, um, you're someone who respects the game. And so 
Um, this is, it's, it, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how to be better at it. And I think it came at a really good time, even though I, you know, even though I was bummed that um, I couldn't continue on MBA tonight and MBA coast to coast, I think, you know, if, in anyone's career, if you're not, uh, if you don't find yourself at a crossroads to kind of improve and, um, you know, the, the cliche that a lot of people like using is uh, to, to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, then you're going to be in a stalemate. And um, this career is not a, a situation where you can just kind of be. You need to continue to reinvent yourself um, just so you can grow uh, with the game because the game is continuing to reinvent itself. So um, I, I'm still learning. I think the next step for me is just continuing to build my relationship. So I feel, like you said, um, like when I'm talking to him post game that, um, you know, I, I the, the, the comfort level is there that I, you know, so when I am having uh, an interview that my ears are completely open, I think a big lesson for any reporter is to make sure you're as present as possible because you'll miss something. And right. oftentimes when people um, are starting off and, and that happened to me a lot when I was working on sports hunter, I would, you know, uh, decide what I was going to say um, while, you know, the person was talking, my, my analyst or, you know, um, the guest, and I would miss something because I was too worried about being perfect instead of being in the moment. So um, I think just knowledge is power there. And um, uh, especially out in the field and on sidelines is just making sure that I'm, I'm building my, my knowledge about the game, my relationships and, um, and, uh, and making sure that I'm continuing to be a part of the fabric. Yeah, I love that. So then once you had to shake your house cat comfort, how long did it take mm -hmm. for you to get a rhythm on the NBA sidelines? I mean, I'm still I'm still trying to I'm still trying to get it. I mean, this year was difficult for me. I, I will I will admit because um I think a big part of what has led to my success has been the fact that I'm, you know, from the beginning like just um dived in completely to what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis on social media in the games and you know being away on maternity leave and having a whole new priority in my life with my daughter you know was it was a difficult balance and um you know going back to work um while it was you know necessary for me and for my daughter to make sure that I, you know, I, I, I still felt like myself, um, it, you know, it was hard for me because I did feel a little behind and mm -hmm. that in itself kind of, um, built on, you know, my, to me, preparation is everything, um, especially with sidelines because, you know, even though you only get like 30 to 40 seconds to give a report and maybe you will prepare 20 reports and one gets in. Um, you still need to be prepared because um, you're an essential part of, of, of telling, you know, certain stories of the game, um, even if you don't have as much real estate as the play-by-play -play and analyst. So, um, you know, it was, it, I, I felt comfortable because I knew arenas, I had relationships, but, um, you know, now I think it's just about like continuing to make sure that I cannot just rest on my laurels. Like I have to be plugged in as much as I can because this is the NBA. It constantly changes. So, um, 
like, when do I feel comfortable? I'm not comfortable yet. And I think that's a good thing because it it makes me want to, um, you know, strive to get better and better. One of the things that was that that I believe has always been one of your big strengths is that preparation. I mean, I remember sitting around the table with you and the crew in the meetings. Nobody was more prepared than you. But but in spite of all of your prep or not in spite of it, but along with your preparation, you were always very receptive to the best idea. And it didn't really matter who it came from. It could have come from myself or one of the analysts. It could have come from the teleprompter person. Uh, and I think because of your your way of dealing with people, you're you're like you know you have real leadership qualities when it comes to accepting the ideas of others and not having a big ego about this stuff and and preparation. You know you could prepare a million things, but you know what? You'd be more than happy to toss any one of them. Uh, if somebody else came up with something better. And that is a very, very appealing quality. Well, I appreciate that, Bruce. And, you know, it's essential. I mean, this is this this work is not about you. I mean, this work is about there's enough personality in the league, um, you know, that that you, you don't need to to try to outshine LeBron James, you know, so. Like this is about this is about trying to get the best out of everybody, um, and, and you know mainly how, you know how can we tell the stories the best, and uh, I, and I think that goes to say like I, I think it's a little even harder on sidelines like to, to the point of you know you really don't get a lot of moments. I mean, really, you know, you have a report at the beginning. Um, you may or may not be on camera. Who cares? Um, and then you have your, you know, after first and after third coaches interviews, which they despise. Um, and quite frankly, I don't love either because there's no great question to ask because you can't ask anything about strategy. You know, obviously, so you, you, like you don't want to have your secrets being told on national television while you're in the game. And, uh, you know, there's only, there's only so much you can ask. Um, and then so post game, the post game interview really is your moment to make to capitalize on um all of the, all your preparation all of your relationships all of that so um you know having it, it, i call sidelines the, the the toughest easiest job um i think in in sports because you have such a um short amount of time to make a really big impact that um you know, can oftentimes live longer than sometimes even the game on a nightly basis um, because you're, you're the first person to get a reaction from, from the player um, about whatever happened. And uh, so, you know, as far as like making sure you don't have an ego, it's just, it's about putting the work first. Um, and, and, and with that, um, if it's important to you, you'll get recognition because you're doing the job well. Man, Cavs, I swear that was Bible because like, <laughs> I mean, so you're in such a unique position because NBA Twitter, NBA fans, they're rabbit, right? And so yeah, by virtue of the consumption and the knowledgeable fan base, like in your position, yep. you become a little bit of a celebrity, right? Like you, you're part of NBA Twitter, but at the same time, you're so right in that it's not about you. And I meet so many kids that like, want to be on TV and want to be a silent reporter, but you're like, right. 
You're just summing up the part that you see when you see people on TV, not the relationships, not the thoughtful questions, not the crazy hours that go into the industry. So I just love that you said that. So let me ask you this then, when you do go into a post game, how do you sort of prioritize your questions and are you already planning planning follow-ups or does that go back to your point about being absolutely present in that moment because your player may lead you to something else? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on obviously like what happens in the game. But usually if it's, you know, if it's, um, if it's a blowout, you know, that's, it's a completely different situation. I'll probably go more macro. Um, maybe one question about like what they were doing. So like what they executed so well in that game. And then maybe depending on the time of year, you know, kind of try to get what, what, what the temperature is like with the team um, going forward, the conference, that kind of stuff. Um, just because we're a national broadcast and, you know, we're having more casual fans watch. And I just feel like, um, you know, if it's, if it's uh, a blowout, I have an opportunity to kind of dig a little um, deeper. But if it's like a close game, usually around the five-minute mark, I write on my notebook um, the possibilities of, of people I could be interviewing based on, you know, who's, who's the leading scorer, who's making big impacts one on each team. And then I would start from like my, my final questions. Usually like the max questions I'll get would be five. So I typically prepare five questions. There are times where I can only get one question in, or I won't be able to do any live interview and we just have to tape it because we have to go straight to the next game. But if they give me, or if we have enough time, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, empty the barrel. So I'll start with my fifth question, which was really going into, um, you know, the game, like a big storyline. I don't know, you know, there was, this is a silly um, example, but it's one that I, you know, um, that is sticking out in my mind. You remember when LeBron James, like, posted that Arthur um, uh, fist. fist? Yeah. Yes, yes. And so, um, like, I I guess I uh, asked him about, you know, that going forward. Are we going to see any more of those? And he, you know, he responded maybe, and that's, that was just something that I hope maybe have a moment that, you know, that we can walk off and have some fun with. And so if there's an opportunity that presents itself like that, then, you know, I'll maybe put that in the end. And then I will kind of fill in as we go along if there's any kind, if he's like, if there's any kind of records broken, any kind of trends or stats I need to pay attention to, like, you know, um, uh, this is your 10th straight game with 15 assists, like how, you know, like what's your, like what has changed about your court vision recently, like stuff like that, where it's, it's a combo of micro macro. And then obviously I will save, you know, the initial reaction for the top. So if there's like um, a couple big plays at the end, a dagger or um, a defensive stop, and then I'll try to ask about like those specific plays. So there's, there's, if I were to say my, my basic formula, that would be it. But of course, um, you know, you got to be prepared to be uh, just throw all that out the window. And I, did, I write it down just so it can pop in my head, um, but I don't read off of it. So I just kind of write it down so it's there and I, I have the words. Because sometimes, like, I search for the right words. And so if I just write out the sentence, I'm like, okay, at least I have the words in my head. <laughs> Because oftentimes, you know, I, I, it can be an exciting moment 
Um, and I want to make sure that I, you know, I phrase them correctly because, right. you know, there's, there's so many questions that like, you know, you can ask a lot of different ways um, that prompt different responses. So you, you also got to be cognizant of your phrasing um, because with certain players, they can be put off if you're coming at them aggressively or if you, you know, um, you're not trying to relate to them uh, in what's going, what's going on in their world. It's just, it, it, these are all things that you just kind of need to be aware of when you're having these conversations, because you're, as you, as, I don't know if you saw the clip of Blake Griffin on Jimmy Fallon about how he hates post-game interviews. Because We've got more coming up on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN. But first, a plug for my Pure Hoops media brothers. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday. His recent guests have included Hall of Famer Chris Mullen, as well as Chauncey Billups, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mark Stein. Catch and Shoot with Noah and Adam recently had another Hall of Famer, Coach Larry Brown. The discussion about Larry's relationship with Allen Iverson is nothing short of compelling. Catch and Shoot drops each Wednesday. And Fridays, we've got the Pure Hoops Podcast with three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows, rate them, review them, and most of all, enjoy. If you are listening to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks this week, we are so blessed to have Cassidy Hubbard on as our guest. She's an NBA reporter extraordinaire, also hosts um, college football for ABC in the studio, and we are just having a fantastic conversation about her journey thus far. At this point in the conversation, though, Cass, we got to get into what has been nothing short of a wild NBA (laughs) summer. (laughs) I don't even know. Who who played for who? Girl, right? What, what, what team did he play for? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so we kept hearing, like, well, Spencer Dinwiddie swears he was a part of this recruiting thing for Brooklyn. And I've read a handful of different articles where guys were, like, different players are like, we knew. Like, nobody else knew. So I feel like, Cass, like, you're almost as close as you can get to these guys outside of, like, Woj, who makes it his business to get all the answers. Were you hearing like rumors and stuff through the course of the season on the floor with these guys that Brooklyn might actually be the team to clean up? Um, no, I wasn't hearing during the season. I was hearing definitely the Knicks during the season. Okay. Um, a lot of rumors and a lot of um, connections that were being made. Um, and I, I do think it like it took a turn. I, I, um, you know, from what I understand, um, the the original intent was the Knicks, but um, I don't know what happened, but I know come, come the end of the regular season, it was pretty much set in stone that Kyrie was going to Brooklyn. Now, as far as like, you know, the, the, we'll find out from Katie soon, but the story of when Katie decided, I'm, I'm not sure. Some people said it was, it was decided long ago that he was, you know, going to team up with, with Kyrie. But I would be surprised if it really took him until after this injury to make his decision to, to leave. Oh, my gosh. All so, right, so of all the things that is happening, would that be the most shocking for you? Or what is the thing that kind of made you sit down oh, and no. double-check the tweet? <laughs> I mean, okay, so if I'm going to be real with you, so, like, I'm close to Woj, and I kind of got a... Um, 
you know, rumblings of what what could have happened with Kawhi and Paul George. Okay. But that was like minutes before it was going to happen. So I think maybe just kind of being tipped off, like, and the fact that I was recovering from an earthquake. Oh my like, God, Cass, talk about surprising. it. <laughs> but I, I think the, the, um, the, the move that had, that stopped me in my tracks was Westbrook to the Rockets. Okay. That's I good, think yeah. that, that one is just what I recall being like, oh my gosh, what? Like, what? Okay, so talk to me. Talk um, to me about that reaction. Was that because Westbrook and James Harden, there's only one ball? Was that because, wow, the Rockets really shipped CP3? Like, what was going through your head? All the above. It was like, (laughs) what? Westbrook is, what is the thunder now? Poor CP3? Um, How is is that going to (laughs) work? Like you said, there's only one ball? Like, it it was all of it. I, I, I just think... It's a combination of um, the end of an era with OKC, um, CP3 being basically, you know, done dirty and shipped away, and mm-hmm. you know, and and then Westbrook and Harden reuniting, uh, and really like intrigued by it, but pretty certain that's not going to work. <laughs> so, so I mean, that that was what that was uh, Paul George and Kawhi like it just kind of all made sense you know even even with Paul George like forcing his way out of the contract and this and it being the ultimate power move by by Kawhi and um you know I I just think like it was all kind of building up into that point like anyone who um would doubt that Kawhi you know just because he's quiet doesn't mean this man doesn't know what he's doing. As we saw uh, with, you know, what happened with the Spurs, like, like he felt like he wasn't being treated right. So he wanted out and he, no one goes up against the Spurs and Popovich and Arthur Buford. And he did. And then he goes to Toronto and he wins an NBA title and everyone still knew, Oh, he's not going to say. And so it's just like, this guy doesn't say much. Um, but like he's making moves, like uh, like Kendrick Perkins would say, you know, like or well, actually Kendrick Lamar said it, um, you know, real G's move in silence, like lasagna, like that's that's Cass, that's Wayne, then, that's Wayne, because that was my song in high in college. That's Lil Wayne. Come on, Cass. Oh, you, you you're right, you're right, Monica. <laughs> don't 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 take points away from me, right? Now. I got you. I still you're love so you, girl. Right. <laughs> that's Carter three, right? I there you go. Right. Okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. My bad. My bad. So, um, so I just, and then with Paul George, we knew he wanted to be in LA. It kind of didn't make sense that he, you know, stayed another year in OKC. It just kind of like him wanting to leave. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's not really going to work. Like Russ and Paul George and OKC, like they're good. They're just not going to be good enough. I just, I guess like the Paul George and Kawhi, while shocking and obviously changing the landscape of the league, just wasn't, I I guess it just kind of made sense. Whereas like Russ to Houston, you're like, what am I? (laughs) So that's that's my take on that. (laughs) Hey, so Cass, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, ESPN deserves a lot of credit for is, um, 
they've been stressing diversity for a really long time. I mean, long before it became a buzzword in the whole popular culture world, George Bodenheimer way back when, you know, had, had, had pointed out that not only is it the right thing to do, but it's good for business. And you're a big part of that with one of the uh, podcasts that you've worked on called The Hoop Collective. Tell us a little bit about that and uh, how you feel uh, when you do that show. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's great right now. Brian Windhorst is taking over as the main host of that show. But, you know, it, 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 was, it, it was great. Last year, me, Cheney, and Ramona, um, Shelburne, actually, and Cheney Agumake, um, did a show every Monday. And it was, it was awesome to have like an all female, um, pod, you know, kicking off the week and just reacting. And we're all in three different places. Um, and we have three different perspectives, me being, you know, a host sideline reporter, Ramona being a newsbreaker and Janae obviously being an active WNBA all-star, um, as well as one of our, our, you know, stars on the rise, uh, NBA analysts. So, um, you know, that was really fun to just kind of be able to just talk with my friends who also happen to be some of my closest friends about the game every week. And then this year, um, you know, what was really great was I, I did the Hoop Collective podcast after basically every finals game. And so, um, being able to react, you know, on the floor, actually, we recorded it on the floor after every, every finals game to just kind of, um, bring the audience to the atmosphere that we were experiencing. And this was my first finals actually this year, because I would always be a house cat and be back in studio. Um, <laughs> so hoop collective actually gave me an opportunity. I mean, excuse me, um, hoop streams, <laughs> too many hoops, um, you know, gave me an opportunity to be on the road for the finals. And so, um, you know, it was, it was an incredible experience to be able to um, be there and uh, understand like, the, the pinnacle um, of the league and, and be a part of it. And so, um, you know, I enjoyed doing hoop streams before the game and then be able to do hoop collective after the game. I really felt like I was a big part of our coverage, which um, our final coverage, which really uh, I haven't been um, in the years past. I loved it. I had an opportunity to catch out the hoop stream. You guys are having so much fun. I think Perk is definitely on the rise as one of my favorite new NBA voices because he got things to say and is not cutting cards. <laughs> no, I just, I just love him. And you know what? I totally like misread him, like as a player. You know, to take a line from Cat Williams, like I used to have thought he was like this dude who was mad at breakfast, like all the time, <laughs> just mad. Okay, and he is the biggest teddy bear and just one of those people who keeps it real. And I think yeah. that's why, that's why he's earned that respect from um, players. And even when he kind of like talks, I wouldn't even say jump or he would just really kind of like be a little more brutally honest. I think people realize that that's, that, that doesn't sway from who they knew as a player. And so as long as you're being authentic and a hundred percent, all the time, I don't think people can hold that against you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's like a winning successful, um, you know, way for, for an NBA analyst. And he, he is so close to so many of the biggest stars in the game. And, and there's, there's something to that. There's something to that perspective um, that makes you want to listen. And he's just so fun and country and he loves it. <laughs> yes. Very country. <laughs> Texas boy, and he's just—he's just 
such a joy to be around. There's, you know, those people who just like radiate, you know, um, positivity and that's him. So, yeah. you know, it, we were so fortunate to be able to have him on the, on our show, yeah. um, uh, you know, for, for the first season um, on the road. Loved that for sure. Well, Cass, this conversation has been fantastic, but there is a signature way that we end Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, the podcast. Let's so this is, this is how I'm going to tee you up. The overarching umbrella for the subject is going to be the NBA offseason. I'm going to ask you to blindly choose either a bucket, board, or block, and then I'll explain what I need from you based on your selection. Bucket, board, or block, Cassidy Hubbard. Oh, okay. Wow, I'm slow. Um, bucket. <laughs> okay, a bucket. All right, so now, I need from you, in the NBA offseason of 2019, what you would personally consider to be a bucket, as we've all taken it all in. And by bucket, I mean nothing but net, a plus plus, you want more of this thing moving forward. What's your bucket, Cass, from the NBA offseason in the 2019? Off huh? It happened in the offseason? Oh, let's just stick to offseason, yeah. Okay. My bucket is parody in Ooh. the NBA. Okay. That's I want more of that, which we're getting. And I, I wanna see I wanna see how now we've gone from um, you know, the super teams, the dynamic duos. Um, I can't wait to see how that plays out. Okay, so on your parody, are you? Would you agree with Vegas that it's the Clippers and the Lakers that are the favorites? Um, no. Okay. I would definitely put. Um, I don't know. It's I t- guess. Yeah. But right. <laughs> I, I just feel strong. I feel strongly about like the East. You know. Finding a way, whether it be the Bucks or the Sixers. Okay. Okay. That's legit. I like that. Parity as the bucket from the NBA offseason 2019. Cassidy, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Oh, I, 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 okay, now I get it. Don't you love how I understood the whole segment after the fact? I'm <laughs> sorry. I totally... I totally fumbled that, but we, you we got through listen. it. Parody, let's go. Bucket. Listen, parody was a strong answer. You, you nailed it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so fun. Awesome. Thanks, Cass. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye, Killa. So long, Cass. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. <laughs> All right, this week for my BBB, I'm going to go to my home team. And I'm going to reserve my bucket and call this one a board. I think what Ted Leonsis is trying to do in terms of revamping the front office and the decision makers around the Wizards is forward thinking and fresh. And I pray to God that it works out because the Wiz needs some help. If you're not familiar, check out um, the Washington Post article about that Um Candace Buckner did a great job detailing the addition of John Thompson III to the Wizards staff, Tommy Shepard officially becoming the GM. We got folks coming over from soccer and the NFL. So I'm going to give that a board and hope that it works out for the Wizards. Thanks to Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN for spending some quality time with us and chopping it up. Thanks to my super producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, and our fantastic editor, Ben Wolfen, and Pops for coming through this week. Please check out our other shows from Pure Hoops Media, The Mike Wise Show, Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov, The Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. We'll be back next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. But until then, enjoy your hoops. 
Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.